Production. Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's March 1st, 2018. My God, it's March 1st. Jeez. It's 6 o'clock California time, 9 o'clock on the Eastern Coast. And it's time for my private audio call tonight. Our special guest speaker is Rod Class, a winner of the Supreme Court case. Hi, Rod. Hi, sweetie. How you doing? Welcome. I'm so glad you made it. I'm doing great now that you're here. <laughs> How are you? Oh, we're, we're, we're hanging in. I tell you what, it's, it's been a long, long journey since we started this thing in 2013. Well, I know. So Not tell long. us all about it. Well, you know. Wait, sure. wait, wait one second. Just to let everybody know, we've got links on the website. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give your website so that people can go look at the paperwork and if they want to look. For those of you that haven't seen it, I've got links to it on my website. I'm sure Rod has them on his website. And uh, I have links to your website. It's, um, uh, what is that? St. Andrew's Twin Flame. Oh, that, that's somebody else's website. Right now, we're trying oh. to work get one up. Most of our stuff goes out through Ray servers. If you look me up on the internet, it's already posted because Harvey gets it posted up on the internet and it just blasts out across. Oh, but we okay. are working on a website. I've got uh, Steve Her here and Sue Rhodes over in uh, Missouri and I've got several other people that's trying to get some websites up for us so we can do some webinars and we've still okay. got that in planning. We're just trying to get people to get organized. Sounds like a plan. I love it. Welcome, everybody that's on the call. We're glad you made it. Um, so why don't you uh, start out by telling us what you've gone through since 2013. Well, I mean, you know, the short version of what you've gone through since 2013. And talk about your win. That was an appeal, wasn't it? Or what What was yeah. that? Well, what, what it started out here, ladies and gentlemen, is I teach what is known as congressional legislation. I teach four basic things. I teach you the rules, how they're supposed to operate. I teach their job, the job description, their language, and congressional intent. And this is how I've always ran all my cases, whether it was through administration or whether it was through the judicial system. And we have two different, two different court systems. One is the judicial, which is the kangaroo setup, and we have the administrative side, which is the accountability side. And throughout history of what we've been doing on AIB Radio of teaching, educating, I was going up to Pennsylvania in 2013. I stopped off in D.C. Of course, I got picked up in D.C. I parked in the wrong area. And from that time on, it just, they started to bring charges of firearms. I got into the definition of the word firearm with them. The first judge I had, Judge Sullivan, when I went up before him, he dismissed my case. He dismissed everything. He says, Mr. Class, get your stuff, get your Jeep, get out of D.C. You're not welcome here. Don't ever come back. I said, fine, good. Well, the prosecution decided to run this back into another court hearing. They wasn't happy with him dismissing it. They wanted charges. So I went back up before the second judge over in the district 
Columbia's court system, not the United States District Court yet. It's still they've got their little state court like we have here. Well, I went up before that judge, and the prosecution brought his claim against me. And, and those who have and have knowledge of courtroom annex knows that when your judge sits here, says, okay, will the defendant stand up? Your lawyer touches you. He pats you on the back. When he pats you on the back, that is the beginning of this stuff. This goes back in and sets everything up. For you what, to- what do you mean? That's the beginning. What did they always do that? Yeah, what they do is your lawyer intentionally goes in there, misrepresents you. They plea bargain you out. They don't bring up the paperwork. They don't argue. They don't really debate. And when they misrepresent, when the judge sits there and says, okay, will the defendant rise, before you stand up, he'll pat you on the back. And what he does, when you hire a lawyer, you are considered to be you're considered a ward of the state. You're considered to be incompetent. Because when you sign that agreement with that attorney, you waive all your rights and you sign everything over to him to be power of attorney over you and for you. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So when you go out and hire an attorney, there's only one signature on that contract. If you go back and really read that contract, you are waiving your rights. You're giving You're giving Sorry about that. We have, you know, trolls. But go ahead. Yeah, I know I get them on mine too and I just go ahead and just leave them up. Yeah. Yeah. And what they do anyway. is they you hire one. They have power of attorney over you. They come in and they make your argument, even though it is not worth worth arguing because they sit down and sell you out. Then when you're found guilty and the judge asks you whether the defendant rise, your attorney touches you on the back. And when he touches you, he passes from his power of attorney back over to you to you now become liable and you now become totally responsible for what he did for you in that courtroom. So when I was up there in the court and I was in the in talking to the judge in the second court, I sit down and I came up behind my attorney that I had for a public defender that they handed me. I started rubbing his shoulders. And I started patting him on the back. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> As I was explaining the definition of the word firearm under the IRS code and under the ATF code and under the 1934 National Firearms, I proceeded to explain the fact that the Supreme Court has ruled that their gun laws were unconstitutional. The more I kept rubbing this attorney on his back, the judge just said, "Whoa, we're going to stop the hearing. We're going to we're going to move you from this court." And we're going to move you up to the United States District Court. We're going to get you out of here, and we're going to move. We're going to move it up to the next court. So I was my second judge. So I went up before the grand jury 
I had a chance to go before a grand jury up there in D.C. And, of course, they told me I wasn't allowed. Nobody's allowed to see the grand jury. Nobody's allowed to talk to the grand jury. I brought out the rule book for grand juries. I said, back right here, it says I am to go before a grand jury. I am to be able to talk to them. I have that right to talk to them. When I brought out the rule book, they could not say a whole lot to me because I was hammering them on their own rules. I was hammering them on their own regulations. So I got a chance to go before the grand jury. So I talked before the grand jury, and the grand jury sat down and said, Mr. Class, we're here to make one decision, and this is what this gentleman here told us. Did you or did you not come into D.C. with firearms in your Jeep? I said, I did not come with firearms in my Jeep. That's what I'm sitting here telling you. The legal definition for the word firearm is a shotgun that's been modified to a barrel of 18 inches or less, a rifle that's been modified to a barrel of 16 inches or less, overall length was 26, a fully automatic machine gun, and a silencer. I had a carry concealed permit. I had a pistol, and I had a rifle, and these were not firearms. And here's the congressional record. We're not in here to discuss that. We're only here, did you or did you not come into D.C. with the stuff in your vehicle? I said, no, the grand jury is supposed to be understanding what the law is. She said, well, that's not what we're told by this man. I said, okay. So I see how this is going to play out. Well, they did. They found me guilty. I went up on my third judge. I went up before Judge Wilkins. And Judge Wilkins was the United States District Court judge. I went up before him. And as I sit down, and he said, Mr. Class, raise your right hand. He said, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, or help your God? I said, yes. He said, well, Mr. Class, you just swore an oath. If you lie under this oath, it's considered perjury. And if you commit perjury... I will find you in contempt, and I will put you in jail. I said, whoa, let you and I back up here a minute. I said, wait a minute, are you telling me whoever takes an oath, if they lie, that's perjury? He says, yes. I said, does this apply to your side? He says, yes. I pointed over at his prosecutor. I said, you realize that this man took an oath to the bar that he would not mislead, misrepresent, misconstrue? false information before this court and the judge shut the hearing down. I just I just I wish I was there. I just Go got ahead. him for perjury. Yeah. Then I went up before Judge Kessler, which is now my fourth judge. I went up before her. And I sit down and I told her that I am going to take over my own case. Because the public defender that I had is not doing his job. He's not filing my paperwork in. Now, he's supposed to be filing for a defense for me, and he's not filing nothing on my behalf. I said, the only thing you have before you is the other side, which you're going to have to make a decision on because there's nothing from my side on this. So I want to file my own paperwork in. Well, we sit down and we talk, and she said, well, Mr. Cross, she says, you're going to have to know the rules. You're going to have to know the rules of court. You're going to have to know the rules of evidence. You're going to have to know the civil rules, criminal rules. I said, okay, that's not a problem. I, know. I, I can do this. And she said, no, the law is very clear that you know, 
says no person can bring a firearm into this 10-mile square. I said, whoa, back up. I said, first off, I am not a person, not by your legal definitions. I'm a person outside of this courthouse. I am not a person inside this courthouse. She said, what do you mean? I said, did you bother going back and reading Title V under 552A on the word individual? which is part of the person that says that it is a citizen of the United States or a alien that has applied for permanent residency? I said, first off, I'm not a citizen of the United States because you've got to live within the District of Columbia, and I don't live here, and I sure don't have a green card. Well, about that time, she started yelling, I want you to have a psychiatric evaluation because, no, you're a person. I said, no, I am not a person, not by your legal definition. I am a person outside, but your legal definitions are written in stone. And I said, no, when you're dealing with that type of person, you're dealing with a dead person in this courtroom. She said, what do you mean a dead person? She said, you're not dead. I said, I sure in the hell hope I'm not. I hope you're dealing with a live person in this courtroom. And when I said that, her face dropped. She realized what I just did. I just took them out of the dead side and put them on the living side. Wow. Well, she had me down for a psychiatric evaluation. I went down. Within an hour and a half, they had a psychologist up there at the district court sit down and talk with me. So I got talking with a psychologist for about an hour, and we went through a whole bunch of stuff. Now, why am I here? What's my name? What's my address? What my charges are? Why am I being charged? And I started to explain to her the congressional records of all this stuff. I started sitting down and walking her through the rules. I started walking her through the statutes. She's sitting here going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, minute. back up, back up. You're talking way over my head. I said, wait a minute. I said, back up. What do you mean you're talking over your head? I said, I got a 12th grade education. I got a degree in auto mechanics. You, on the other hand, got a college degree, and you are a psychologist. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Are you telling me that you don't know the law and I'm required to know what you don't know? She looked at me. She said, let me talk to your wife. I said, okay, fine. So I went out. They called my wife in. My wife talked to her for about a half hour. I came back in. and My wife looked at her and she says, I'm going to ask you one question. She says, what? Is Rod competent enough to handle his own case? She sat down and said, yes, he is more than competent enough to handle his case. I've never come across anybody as knowledgeable in the law as what he is. He's more than capable of handling his own case. I said, thank you very much. When she said that, she made me an expert in the law. So now I went up before Kessler for my next hearing. So I was up before Kessler, and her and I got into the rule books, and she wanted to talk about the rules. And I said, okay, what I have here, I got three books I just got from across the street from the legislators. I said, here's the civil rules, here's the criminal rules, and here's the rules of evidence. That was printed by the United States Printing Office for the Judiciary Committee that hands these things out. Here, on the other hand, I have the annotated version, which I got off the website and online on Amazon which has the entire history and background and, and 
case law and everything that talks about all these different rules and how they come about. I said, which books do you want to talk about? He looked at me, and she said, we're going to talk about those little ones you have in your hands. I said, you mean the ones I got from legislation? She says, yes. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. We're going to talk about them, but what we're going to do is we're going to go back in and we're going to put this other one in, has all the annotated in as evidence into the record, so you guys will have to follow the rules. And she said, well, you don't, no, no, you don't need to do that. We already know the rules. It says, no, you don't, because if you did, I wouldn't be standing before you right now. So we're going to put this in as evidence. Well, she shut the hearing down. So now we turn around. We come back the following month. And we got talking about, because I put paperwork in to challenging the corpus delecti. Who is the injured party? I want to I want to know who is charging me. And she sat down, and she, her and the prosecutor played played with the word corpus delecti. And they was playing back and forth. They couldn't pronounce it. I said, look, I said, stop this. I said, this is basic 101. I said, who is the injured party in here? And she said, well, Mr. Class, you broke the statutes. I said, just how many statutes is the injured party? She says, yes. I said, you sure you want to tell me this? And she says, yes, you, you broke the statutes. That is why you're in here. You're being charged for statute, statute breaking. I said, well, let me tell you the statutes that your prosecutor just broke. I said, first, let's do not start with Title 28 on the Section 2255 for habeas corpus. I said, if I can sit here and explain to you a constitutional violation or a statutory violation, you have to dismiss this case right now today under Title 28-2255. If I prove to you constitutional violation or statutory violation, so I proceeded to explain Article 4, Section 1 and 2, full faith and credit from one state to the next. My carry concealed permit was valid in, in D.C. because it's part of this country. Whether you want to recognize it or not, you are part of this country. I said under 14th Amendment, Section 1, equal protection under law, you cannot sit here in a bridge. You have to comply with all the laws. I said Title 42, 1981, equal protection under the law. I said now... Let's start with what your prosecutor violated. Let's get into Title 36, United States Code. Let's go down to 70503 for disqualifications. If that turn says if this man advocates the overthrow of our government by advocating the overthrow of the Constitution, and he fails to uphold the Constitution or the laws of this country, he, he has committed treason. He has advocated the overthrow of our form of government. He violated the Smith Act in 1940. He violated Title 18, Chapter 115, 2381, all the way up to 2386, for treason, misprison of treason, insurrection, rebellion, sedition. I said, why is this man still sitting here? She screamed recess and ran out of the courtroom. She ran just that quick, upset her so bad, because I just proved... I they violated the Constitution on me. I've just proved that they violated the statute on me. Therefore, she had to dismiss my case, and she ran out of the courtroom. Well, we come back for another hearing. We got into 
the, was it the same day, or did they call you back at another time? Or I've been going up there about once a month from 2013 up to 2016. Sometimes okay. I was up there twice a month. Okay, but I, when she shut the place down, did yeah. she call you? Did you have a hearing that day, that same day, or was it another? It was another day, another month. Another. Oh, I see. All yeah, these, they're real good at dragging it out. But go yeah, ahead. All these hearings were like either one one day out of the month, or maybe there was two days out of a month. This thing went on from 2013 up to 2016. They was dragging me in and out of these out, up here like once a month or twice a month. But we got in there. And we got talking about the laws again. I, I said, do you do understand that the United States codes were never passed right by both houses? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've got the congressional record that shows in 1925 under volume 43. It stopped on March 4th, 1925. I said, I got volume 44 of December 16th, 1925. Shows it picked back up on December 16th. I said, if you'll notice, it stopped on March 4th. Then you see it picked back up on December 16th. What happened to all the rest of these months? Why isn't there anything written in here? Supposedly, these laws were passed on December 7th, 1925. But you can clearly sit here and see they were never passed. And here's the documentation that says that the United States codes are prima facie. They're presumed to be law, but they could be rebutted. I said, I'm rebutting your laws. They don't apply to me. They would never would pass by both houses. Only Congress passed it, not the Senate. They would never agree to. Here's the documentation that backs it up. I said, furthermore, if you get into the Federal Registry of 1933 and 1935, you get into the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 and 1935, you'll sit here and see that Congress allowed the president in a committee to codify the statutes at large to be administrative law. Here's the documentation that backs all that stuff up. And she looked at the prosecutor, and she said, can you rebut this man? He just dropped his head, shook his head no. Every time we got into a issue, she kept asking him, and he could never answer her. All he could do was shake his head no. He could not rebut anything that I brought in because it was facts. Well, she... Ran out of the courtroom again. She yelled recess. My public defender that was still standing there looked at me and said, Rod, you need to go home. I said, no. I said, she yelled recess. She didn't say court no, adjourned. She yelled recess. He said, go home. I said, no. <laughs> U.S. Marshal came up and grabbed me by the arm. He said, Mr. Class, you're going home. So he threw me out the door and locked the door behind me. Well, then I knew court was over because he threw me out. So I came back in. Then I had Judge Roberts. He was the chief judge for the United States District Court. So now he's my fifth judge I'm up in front of. And we got in here talking, and I brought some information in to him. And he sat down and says, Mr. Class, I'm not going to allow this. I said, you don't have a choice. I said, pursuant to the rules of evidence under 402 and 501 and 802, it says that you have to allow constitutional, statutory rules and decisional of Supreme Court decisions, 
you have to allow it to be admitted into evidence, and you cannot deny this. I said, you want to see the rule book? He just dropped his head, just put him in. We kept talking, and there are different things throughout throughout the months come up. This is, like I said, a long, drawn-out process. We got in there on another hearing with him, and I started hammering him on congressional legislation. And when I did, he came up off the bench. He says, Mr. Class, I'm going to tell you right here, right now, this court does not operate under law. We use theories and we use concepts in this courtroom. I looked at him and yes. No shit. Really? Yes. I got it on the record. I got it on the record. They sit down and they shut the hearing down. I came back in. He said, what we're going to do, I want you in here on October 27th. We're going to start your trial. I said, okay. Well, on October 27th, right before it came, on October 23rd, they dropped all my charges. They dropped both charges, one for the District of Columbia and one on federal property on the 23rd. They held a brand-new grand jury on me on the 25th of October. I was supposed to have been in there on the 27th, but they already dropped the charges, so there was no need for me to show up. But I filed paperwork in, and I told him what I'm going to do is I will either do a teleconference with you or I will have an in-camera hearing with you. And I never showed up. Well, coming October 28th, they put a bench warrant out for me. I was up I was up at the VA hospital up here in Salisbury. I was picked up by the U.S. Marshals. They came in. They took me back up to D.C. I was sitting in D.C. jail for about 21 days. They handed me my plea agreement. Well, I went through the plea agreement. I looked at it. I seen that they changed the case number on it. It was not my standard case number. They put a different case number on this thing. Well, when I went in the court and the judge was there I had some people there the prosecutor was there and the prosecutor asked for time to sit down and talk to me so the judge vacated the courtroom everybody was thrown out the prosecutor looked at me he says Mr. Class I'm going to tell you right now he says you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you I said alright what he says you know you beat us we know you beat us we're not going to allow you to win he said, either you sign this plea agreement or you're going to go to prison for 21 years. I looked at him. I looked at my public defender. I said, are you telling me this is a Spanish Inquisition? Is that what you're telling me if this is what this is? He says, yes, it is. I said, you're telling me I have to confess my sins whether I sinned or not, and if I don't, you're going to put me in prison for 21 years even though you're wrong? He said, yes. I said, okay, fine. Wow. So I went and I signed the plea. But the problem of it is that plea agreement, when I signed it, was based on the old charges, not the new charges. It was not based on the new grand jury indictment. And the reason why was this. Stop and think here a minute. You can't sign a plea agreement before you are formally charged and arraigned, and you know what your charges are. If they already dropped my charges and that plea agreement was based on the old charges, that plea agreement was no good. And I knew that. That's why I signed it. 
Because the very next day, I went up before Judge Roberts, and Judge Roberts says, Mr. Klaus, do you have the right to remain silent? Anything you say can well be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney, although we know you don't need one because you're capable of doing your own paperwork. I said, whoa, wait a minute, back up. I said, are you giving me an arraignment? He says, yes. I, so I thought to myself, shut up, Rod. What you thought yesterday is actual true because the plea agreement you signed was on all charges. You can't sign a plea agreement before you've been firmly charged, so that plea agreement was no good, and I knew that. So we went through the process. We got up before the got up before the judge on for my sentencing hearing. Judge Roberts sit down and says, uh, Mr. Klaus, said, do you agree with your plea agreement? I said, no. He says, why? I explained to him why. I explained to him the fraud that was committed is the fact that you could not charge me and make me sign a plea agreement before I have been officially arraigned, before I officially knew what my charges actually were. You can't make me sign a plea agreement. He just dropped his head. He said, I'm going to allow you to appeal this. <clears throat> I said, thank you very much. Prosecutor was upset because part of that plea agreement was that I was never allowed to go to the appeal court. I was never allowed to appeal this at all. And when I explained the fraud to Roberts, he looked at me and said, I'm going to allow you to appeal your plea agreement. I'm going to allow you to appeal it. Because I explained the fraud to him. He looked at me and he says, before I sentence you, do you have anything to say? I said, yeah. I said, your prosecutor put into paperwork that he now hopes I learn to follow the law the way it is written. Could you tell me what law I broke? I said, because I had a carry concealed permit. I was valid for my state, and it's supposed to be valid constitutionally in this state. I said, my stuff was registered to the FBI. I said, your property was not posted. Title 18, Section 920 sits here and says, if you do not have a sign on your property, you cannot legally arrest anybody and charge them for having firearms on your grounds if you don't have it signed up and posted. You didn't have it posted. I said, your Supreme Court ruled that your gun laws were unconstitutional. I said, your appellate court ruled that your gun laws were unconstitutional. Your underling last year ruled that your gun laws were unconstitutional. I said, so what did I break? I looked at him and said, oh, shit. I said, I forgot. You told me the other day you guys don't use laws in this courtroom. You use theories and concepts. I said, what's going to be the theory and concept for today? He dropped his head. He said, I'm going to allow you to appeal this entire case. He said, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to allow you to appeal it. He said, Mr. Class, I'm going to sit down and tell you right now it's a $350 fine. I said, whoa, back up. I said, remember, 1933, bankruptcy? He took a deep breath. He said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to let you take this up with the probation officer to pay you a $350 fine. I will sign for you to file into the appeals court under informal pauperous, which means you are a poor person, you have no money, and for them to accept your appeal. I said, thank you very much. I just proved a bankruptcy in that court when he did that. You sure did. That's awesome. I proved the bankruptcy. I'm loving this. <laughs> Continue. I got paperwork filed into for notice of appeal, state of judgment, so I paperwork into the appeal court. I thought a brief in. 
30 days went by. Prosecution never answered. I gave him another 15, 20 days. I filed a notice of fault in and said, hey, you failed to answer the paperwork. You failed to ask for leave of court for an extension of time. I'm going to put you on notice. Another 15 days went by. I went back in and I defaulted them. Well, it sat there. I filed paperwork in. I'm asking, who are my judges? Why isn't anybody work, working on this? Nobody said anything. I went back in. I filed a Shorosra and a mandamus in two. And I said, look, I went to the chief judge. I said, look, we have a problem here. Your prosecution has not answered any of my paperwork within a timely manner. I asked who the judges are to sit down and get a judgment. They're not answering me within a timely manner. I said, now, I want to remind you of the Miller case, Miller versus United States of 1939. Miller was found guilty in the district court of the United States. He went to the appeals court, and he got his court case overturned in the district court. The United States government took him to the Supreme Court. When they went to the Supreme Court, Miller's attorney never showed up. The United States government won by default, not by decision. They won by default. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't have that clue. But I went back and I put this stuff in. I said, I, 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 want, my, I want my decision. I want my judgment. They have default. Here's a Supreme Court decision that says if you don't answer, you lose. I want my case dismissed. Well, about that time, I get a notice in the mail from General Block. They were appointed my meekest curiae attorneys. The court appointed them. I didn't appoint them. The court appointed them. We sit down, and they got a hold of me. They went through my paperwork, and they sit down and said, my God, Mr. Class says, you're innocent. I said, yeah. She said, no, you are innocent. I said, yes, I know this. She said, you filed everything possible into this thing on the Second Amendment. You put the case laws in. She said, you put the statutes in. You put all the regulations in, and they ruled against you. I said, yes. She said, I don't believe this. I said, I do. I said, who are you and why, why are you contacting me? She said, well, we were hired to come in as Mika's curiae and argue your argument for you in the appeals court. Oh, all right, fine. So they filed their paperwork in, but they had to make their argument. This is where a lot of people don't, don't understand. When that Mika's curiae, General Block, came into this court case, they were not allowed to file any new documentation. They had to make their arguments based off of my paperwork, what I put in. And they looked at me, she said, you got so much in your paperwork. We've never seen anybody put so much in paperwork what you did. She said, we got so much to choose from. I said, yeah. But when they went into the appeals court, what I did when I filed this paperwork in, that circuit court in D.C. has two doors. One is judicial, one is administrative. 
I found the administrative site. When I filed that, that brief in for my appeal, I brought it in on the administrative site. And I invoked the administrative site because I brought charges against them. Well, when we had our hearing, I was allowed four minutes to talk on the floor of the circuit court. From what I was told, that's unheard of. The, this law firm was shocked that they gave me four minutes. That four minutes, I got out as much as I could to show the, the wrongful doing of the prosecution of the United States Attorney's Office. I went back in, I hammered on everything I could hammer on in four minutes. And I got, I got shut down because people went in. The appeals court came back in and made the issue that they said I didn't have the right to appeal once I pled guilty. Once you plead guilty, that's the bottom line. You're guilty, and you can't do anything about it. Well, because of the amount of fraud that I sit down and showed within the court and constitutional violations, statutory violations, procedural violations, procedural and rule violations, both, this was able to get me into the United States Supreme Court. So they was able to run it up to the Supreme Court. Out of, what is it, 8,000 people, 80 made it to the Supreme Court. I'm one of them. And when we got up before the Supreme Court, that Supreme Court decision was supposed to be based on plea agreements. If someone pleads guilty, are they allowed to come back in and challenge it? Well, the Supreme Court came back in when we was up there, and the prosecution was sitting here making his comments. Well, remember, Mr. Class signed that plea agreement. He's guilty. He's not allowed to make any arguments. He waived all his rights, and the judge says, no, he did not. He said, as a matter of fact, I have, I have 12 of your plea agreements that you've done that are wrong, already wrong. So she started hammering him, and so did the other judges started to hammer on him on the plea agreement side. Said, no, just because she don't mean you're guilty because if you violate that man's constitutional rights or if you violate statutory law or you violated procedure or you violated the rules and you force them into a plea agreement, that plea agreement is no good. It's invalid. That's what this argument was about before the United States Supreme Court is all these plea agreements because they got 97% conviction rate in this country. That 97% conviction rate, majority of them, all based on plea agreements. And the plea agreements are done wrong. And that's why this case was so important, why this case is so so large, uh, what it means. Now that we turn around after from October until this month, it took them from October to this month to come back in and write this thing up. And they overturned the circuit court's decision on me and allowed me to go back to the circuit court now argue the Second Amendment issue before the circuit court. So what this means, anybody who's ever got into a plea agreement was found guilty can now go back into this case, bring up that there's a constitutional violation or statutory violation, procedural violation, and have their case reopened and have it reheard in order to get it overturned. 
That's the significance of this case, Jessica. That's how big this thing is. That's amazing. Gosh, did you have anybody there with you when this was taking place? I wish I could have been there. Well, there, there on the wall. <laughs> well, several people that came in, my my best friend, he took me up because he's my chauffeur to get me in and out. And him and I got up there, and there was a whole line. What we found out is the Supreme Court, when they hold their hearings, there's a line outside. And the first 150 people, if they're there early enough, get in. And then as uh-huh. people leave, then other ones take their place. But this, this, was, this was a whole, whole new thing. We've never been there. And I don't know of anybody out here who's doing what we're doing, or any, any of these different groups has ever made it to the Supreme Court and has ever won. Yeah, me neither. I don't think anybody has. No, and the you only know, reason- they, they, they nip it in the bud. Remember that conference, that judges conference yep. from a, you had for a long from a long time ago? Yep. They said they were gonna, you know, never allow us to get to the Supreme Court. But it looks like, you know, you you did good, Rod. You did real good. We're real proud of you and we're so happy. Well, I yeah, wish I but- could read the paperwork. Is it out there? Yeah, we, every time I filed paperwork, we posted it, and this Harvey's got this stuff posted up. I'll send it over to you on this Supreme Court decision. But I tell you Fantastic. what, where people out here are making their mistakes, their concepts are right of a lot of what they're sitting here saying, but they're going at it the wrong way. And, and it's like I sit down, like I, I told told some people here the other day, I said, look, I said, I was taught by the gentleman that taught me, I said, learn their rules, learn their job, learn their language. If you know them three things, you can walk in and hammer them. D.C. taught me to learn congressional intent. So I learned four things, learn their rules, learn their job, learn their language, and learn congressional intent. A lot of people out here on these shows will sit here and tell you that's their law, that's their rules, that's their procedures, that belongs to them, that's all theirs, and they don't apply to us. I said, you're absolutely right, but you listen, listen to what you're sitting here saying. Their rules, their procedures, if you don't go back and hold them accountable to their rules, their procedures, you're not going to get anywhere. You don't use them to defend yourself with. You use it to hold them accountable to. I said, when you people walk in, you guys either walk in either as a defendant or you walk in as a plaintiff. I said, when I walk in, I walk in as a prosecutor. I walk into that courtroom and that judge sit down and says, Mr. Class, you just took an oath. And if you lie, that's perjury, and I'll put you in jail. I flipped this on him. I said, does this apply to your side? Yes. And the first thing I did was nail his prosecutor. For perjury, right off the bat, I didn't talk about me. I went right after them, and that's the same thing when we got into with Roberts and Kessler. We talked about different things, and we got into the rules of court. And I asked Judge Kessler, I said, "I'm going to ask you something here. Under Rules of Evidence 402, it says what is already admissible. Already admissible. That means it's already can be used." You're supposed to be following it. But could you explain to me what the word already admissible 
hit her up on that, her head dropped, and she had nothing to say because that means that if I want to bring the Constitution into that courtroom, it's already admissible. You have to adhere to it. But if we don't go tell the judge that, they'll sit here and tell you, well, you can't bring the Constitution in this courtroom. We don't listen to the Constitution. Or, excuse me. What does your rule sit here and say? Already admissible? That means you have to apply to it. You have to adhere to it because it's already admissible in here. You have to. And when you come in and you run with this with them, it scares the bejesus out of them because they're not preparing for, they're not used to us coming in and telling them how to do their job. They're not used to that. They would rather hear you walk in and say, well, that's not me. I'm not that all-capital name. I am not a, a citizen of this, of this of the United States. These are the arguments that they want to hear. Because now you're talking about you. I'm not the citizen. I'm not that capital name. That's not my name. You're talking about you. But when you're walking in and you're sitting there saying, excuse me, your rules, your rules under 402, your rules under criminal rule 12, sits here and says that you can't deny this paperwork because it's, you cannot deny me an appeal. I'm not talking about me now. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about their regulations. Do, do you see where that difference comes in at, Jessica, uh, Angela? Angie, yeah, I do. do you, you, you would get along really well with Rich Iverson. Do you know who he is? Uh, not offhand. i got too many people I talk guys, to. Yeah, you, you know, one of these days we're going to get a roundtable together of all you brilliant minds, and we're going to hash through some things and maybe, you know, and everybody could benefit from it. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, it would be. Now, we're trying to pull some people together with what we're trying to do and, and pull some groups you know, and talk about some of this stuff. Because I'm, I'm telling you, when you are walking in and you're talking about who you are, what you're not, what you're not part of, you switch that argument over to you, and that's exactly what they want to hear. Because now they can sit down and hammer you because you're not talking about anything but they're not doing right. But when you walk in, you know, it's like right now I'm, I'm going through going through, going through a divorce. I went in, into court with my wife's attorney, and we got into the courtroom, and he started opening up his mouth. And I, I objected. I said, whoa. I said, I said we got a problem in here. And I proceeded to explain what he was doing wrong. And the moment I did that, the judge spoke up. She said, I'm recusing myself off the bench. She says, Mr. Klaus, I know who you are. I know what you are. I know what you've done to, to Dallas down here. I said, you've sued them. I said, I was part of the attorney that you sued. I am not going to sit on here because I know what you're able to do. So she sat here and walked off the bench. But the point is, the moment he opened up his mouth, I hammered him on what he did wrong. And the moment I did, she she walked off. And that's what I'm sitting here saying. That's what we're doing in, up here in D.C. The moment... They got done. I started hammering them what they're not doing right. And they sit down and said, well, Mr. Class, we had probable cause. We had a right to do No, you did not have probable cause. Didn't you bother going back and reading your rules of criminal rules procedure of Rule 4? That's it, sir, says if you have probable cause, you had to have a complaint. You had to have an affidavit. You had to have a warrant or summons. Didn't you bother reading your rules? 
Well, Mr. Klaus, you know, we, 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 didn't you bother going through and did you have a warrant? Did you even have a complaint? Matter of fact, you never even charged me for the parking violation because you didn't charge me for the parking violation. How can you bring these charges? Because this now is the fruit of the poison tree. If you didn't charge me for the first charge, you can't use the second charge because you didn't do the first one right. I love it. Yeah, they just, they, every time I had an answer, I went back and showed what they did wrong. I showed them how they did wrong. And this is what Jessica and the people within Jenner and Block, that's what they went back to my paperwork. They could not believe the amount of errors because she told me, she said, Rod, we got into your transcripts. She said, Judge Kessler looked at the prosecutor. She said, don't you think you ought to at least answer one of Mr. Klaus's paperwork? And he's got over 30 documents in here, and you haven't even answered one of his documents. You realize he's sitting here asking for dismissal because you're not even answering his paperwork? You know, and this, this is what really threw General Block is I was able to walk screw up on their side. Because next time, we don't do that. Because we don't use their stuff. Well, I always did. I always have. That's how I was taught. It works well. It works very well. But oh, no. That's so exciting, you know. I just, I, I bet, did you... When you when you found out, how did you find out what happened? I mean, did somebody call you, or I got did they email. call you from the court? What? I got an email from, Je- from Jessica. Says, Mr. Class, you won. Here is the Supreme Court decision on you. It's like, it's like 32 oh. pages. She said, you won. I said, <laughs> what would you do? Oh, I, I was just ecstatic. I went, yes, I, I was Jumping up and down. (laughs) I knew I was going to beat him. I didn't know what the number was, but it was a six to three. And I'll take six Uh, to three. Yeah. But I talked to her here the other night, and she called and said, Now, I said, Okay, our next step is to take this to the circuit court. I said, Okay. I said, Let me me remind you of something here. I said, You do remember that. Was it either 2014, 2015, the appeals court found D.C. in contempt because they were still pushing and charging people for the for the gun laws that were declared unconstitutional? I said, you do understand that I was going through this whenever they decided that D.C. was in contempt. Why wasn't my charges dropped? If they were found in contempt, they should have dropped my charges. And what she didn't say a whole lot. She just didn't realize I knew this. I said, okay, now let me let me explain something else to you. I said, you know that the, there was no signs posted up there. I said, that's one of my foundational arguments, that there was no signs. She said, well, I tell you what. She said, you have really created a havoc up here because they now have signs posted everywhere that they never had signs before. She said, since your case, there have been a lot of things that have changed up here. I said, okay. I said, but let me ask you, let me explain something else to you. I said, you are aware of the militia laws, right? I said, I realize you don't want to hear the word militia. I said, but let me explain something to you. 1902 Dick Act was part of this. I said, but if you go back and you'll check in the different states, 
if you look up the militia laws, I said, it will sit here and tell you that the militia is the National Guard and the Reserves. But the unorganized militia is the citizens from the age of 17 up to 65. And that the unorganized militia people, which is you and me, when there is a state of an emergency, whether it is a hurricane or whatever, some type of disaster, doesn't have to be military. All it has to do is just be a, a some type of state of emergency. You go back and read that thing, and that sister says that the unorganized militia people can be called up to duty. You need to go back and read that. I said, because the argument here is, is that because I am considered unorganized militia, they took off my pistol and my rifle away from me, which is no different than walking up to somebody in the military and taking their stuff off of them. Same concept. And she was not aware of that. I said, yeah, you better go back and read these laws. This is very significant. And if you can go back and read, you notice that I put that in my paperwork. She just went, oh my God. I said, yeah. So there's a lot here that a lot of people don't understand what I did because so many people tried to tell me to limit myself on what I put in. And I was not in here limiting myself. I was in here exposing the fact that the government isn't a government. It belongs to the U.N. It's under U.N. under since 1945, the International Organization Immunities Act. When that was passed in 1945, they put every single public office into U.N. jurisdiction. These are no longer American nationals. These are all foreign nationals that's running our country. All of them. All the way down to the garbage manager. Whoever takes an oath, it falls under that section, relinquishes their national citizenship, and because they are under U.N., they are under U.N. jurisdiction. You and I are not. And the proof of that, if you stop and think here, remember whenever Hillary Clinton was in as the uh, Department of Secretary up in D.C.? Secretary of State, yeah. Uh, You remember when Arizona and the governor and the the legislature created legislative law to keep out the illegal aliens out of Arizona? Well, whenever they did that, Hillary brought charges against them, not before Congress. She brought charges against them under the International Organization Immunities Act for Human Rights Violation, and she brought them up before the U.N. No kidding. Well, she was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I mean, she's heavy-duty taking her orders from them, or was at that point anyway, but go ahead. But she brought these people up before the U.N. to face charges, Mm -hmm. not and when she did that, that went back and proved that UN had jurisdiction over these people. They don't have jurisdiction over you and I. This is why I sit back and I tell people who, who want to expatriate yourself, well, I want to get out of the system. I want to get out. I said, no, no, no. You don't get out. You and I are already here. Those who took public office, whether they are aware or not aware, when they take that public office, they have expatriated themselves. I said, when this thing was in 1867, whenever the federal government walked into the southern states, they forced the southern states to relinquish their sovereignty 
and take on that 14th Amendment citizen. You and I are not that 14th Amendment citizen. We never have been. We come out of the 1933 bankruptcy side of this thing. But those who, who are under the public office, and this is where you go back and read Section 2 and 3, it talks about the president, talks about the vice president, talks about legislators, talks about judicial officers, talks about state government. It does not say one thing about you and I. It only talks about them. So that 14th Amendment citizen is those who hold public office, not John Q. Public. Those who hold public office have to relinquish their citizenship. That's why they gave up the, the state side and took on the federal side. But when that international organization immunity got kicked in, that's where they got taken over to the foreign side of all this. And all that's in my paperwork. I laid all this stuff out. I explained all this. This one also got them upset because we put all this up on a record, and that's why my records are sealed up there because I put so much in exposing the entire fraud of the system, including the fact that they are selling us on the stock market and they're securitizing off of us through the Chris account and through the QCIP numbers. All that was in my paperwork. I unloaded a whole lot. You know, it's just, just mind-boggling of, of all the stuff that I've done. Like I said, I have quite a few people upset with me out here. Because what do you mean it's sealed? That means that you can't go in there and, and get into my records. That's, they sealed them puppies from the public. you got to be an attorney to be able to get in to get into them. So, but you posted it on your website? Yeah, I, whatever, whatever Harvey and I did. Get a document. When I send it out, and the moment it hit the clerk of court, the moment it hit that clerk of court, I had Harvey post it up on the website. So it's very good. Posted. Ah, good. Good. Yeah. Who the hell are they to say it's sealed? I mean, it's your paperwork. They don't have a copyright on it. No, but they got the, the issue was is that we was exposing because what was going on here is that when this paperwork went in, it went to the postal side, and from the postal side, it went straight into the judge's chamber first. From the judge's chamber, I found out it went to the United States Supreme Court. From the United States Supreme Court, it went back down to the judge's chamber and then into the clerk of court, because there's three timestamps on this paperwork, one from the post office, one from the judge, and one from the clerk of court, and there is sometimes as much as a month to a month and a half difference between the time it arrived there and the time it went to the clerk of court. Huh. There's three different timestamps on this thing. Huh. So, in a nutshell, if you were going to write a headline for what happened in your win, how would how would you uh how would you phrase it? Oh man. <laughs> I mean I know it's people are asking in the chat, well what what did what did he win? Well you you and it's hard to explain it because you won proving that they can't make you sign a plea deal before there's any charges because they tried to make you sign a plea deal that pertained to the prior charges that were dismissed. Right. Right? 
see, that's what a lot of people don't understand. It, it, they figure, well, you, you, know, you signed the plea agreement. Well, yeah, I did. But you go back and understand the circumstances that that's, that me signing that plea agreement was based on charges that were dismissed on October 23rd. Right. New charges on the 25th. I wasn't indicted for it yet. I didn't get indicted for that until November 22nd. And they pull those shenanigans every single day of of the you know week. That's how they do things. These lawyers. <gasps> oh God. Yeah, yeah. And wow. Are so I, what I wanted to ask you though is so what's next now? Are you still fighting? Are there are they gonna? bring new charges against you or has the whole thing been thrown out or what's going on now? What's going on now is this, is the Supreme Court has remanded it back down to the circuit court. Now we're going to go in and argue the Second Amendment. They've already been told that the plea agreement has no merit, is that there's any type of constitutional or statutory or whatever type of violation is that that plea agreement can be challenged at any given time. So I challenged it, and we got the ruling on that. Now it's a Second Amendment issue, but again, the Second Amendment issue is, well, Mr. Class was on federal property. He wasn't on D.C. property. He was on federal property. Well, federal property had to be posted, and the law was very clear on that. If it isn't posted, then they can't charge you. And because I had a carry concealed permit, that legally allowed me to be able to carry it in the vehicle as long as I didn't have it on my hip. And see, this is where the prosecution is trying to tried to make the court believe that I actually had it on my hip, and I walked through metal detectors over in the House and in the Senate with it on my hip. You know, it was locked up in my Jeep. It was locked up on a piece of property. But if you go back and listen to what the prosecution is saying, they're actually coming out and saying, readily accessible. Mr. Class had it mounted on his hip, walking in through D.C. That's a bald-faced lie. Because if I actually had it on my hip the way they said, I would never make it through the metal detectors without it being... And if, they, if I did go through the metal detector, then why didn't they not take it? Exactly. Why was I not I charged? Bells and whistles go off, right? Yeah, the alarms would have went off. I got uh, I got a, a total knee replacement on my left knee. It's all titanium. The moment I walk through that buzzer, my knee sets it off. Now, if I had a, a pistol and I had a my rifle with me, you don't think that would set the alarm off? Yeah, you know, these people lie through their teeth so bad to get a conviction, and that's that's part of the problem here. But this this argument is going to be on the Second Amendment, on the right to on the right to possess, the right to carry, the right to have, and it goes back what I what I was sitting here saying. This goes back under the militia laws. This goes back under the fact that the property wasn't posted. This goes back to the 1902 Dick Act. Is it Dick Act? You know, sits down and, and nullifies all all gun laws and if you and I are considered unorganized militia 
under state statutes as well as under federal statutes under Title X, which is Uniform Military Code, Code of Justice, if you and I are considered unorganized and we are to be able to have such things with us, then why are we being charged? Nobody's ever challenged this side of it. Nobody. And I'm going to see if I can get Jaron Block to come in and bring part of this stuff up and point some of this stuff out. Does it need to be brought out? Who? Jenner and Block, the law firm. Oh, okay. Ickes Curiae people. They're who? Ickes Curiae. It was oh, okay. Jenner, Jenner and Block. This when I speak law- to you and you, there's like a delay in between, and so I'm sorry. I should say over <laughs> when I'm done talking, and that way maybe we won't step on each other. I'm sorry. But uh, I, I'm not, you know, they were the amicus people. Okay. Yes. Somebody said, oh, well, they're also ACLU wanted to put their two cents worth in there, didn't they? Yeah, the ACLU filed paperwork in. The Innocent Project filed paperwork in. Uh, there was a college professor out of, out of Chicago, one of the law schools, put his paperwork in. And oh. the National Criminal Lawyer Society put their paperwork in, coming back in and backing me and supporting my position. They back supported my position on this. Yeah. Right? Cool is that? <laughs> and so what, what we're saying is this court case, now that they have come back and made this decision, this is going to allow these different law firms to go in and help clients who's been wrongfully in prison to be able to go in and get them out of jail. That's what this case is going to be all about. Like I said, this, this is a huge, huge case because that uh, Black Legend and that Manning, the two case laws that was the foundation for this, there was quite a few holes in it from what, I was, from what I'm being told. My case went in and plugged up them holes and made it more applicable to be used because I was able to go back in and prove that even if you win your case, they're going to rule against you anyhow and make you plea bargain. Even though if you beat them, they're going to make you plea bargain anyhow. And that's what they did. And it's all in the paperwork. It's all right there in the transcripts. I'm going to read them this weekend. I'll send you over the uh, Supreme Court decision on this thing. Uh, and what I, when I told Harvey, what we need to do is, as we get these major decisions, uh, because it's one of us, we have to get all of the original copies. Whenever you are getting into the Heller case, you're only getting what they want to hand you, okay? You're not getting the whole thing. And what, when it's one of us, we get the full documentation. We get the whole brief. We get everything that goes in. So now as we get it, we'll post it so everybody will have a blow-by-blow, picture-by-picture, line-by-line, 
what was filed, how it was filed, so we would know how to come back and say, okay, this is what we've been missing out on. This is what we didn't have when we filed some of this stuff in. We didn't know about this. Well, we're going to be able to come back in and show all this stuff now because it's going to be one of us that's going to get all this paperwork so we can get it posted. Fantastic. So excited. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry to, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you getting divorced, though. Well, it, it, it took a toll on my wife. It, it had, her health really went down real bad I on them. Sure. So, the place where she, she could hardly get around. Yeah, and she she just can't handle the stress out of this thing, and she just can't handle me dealing and fighting and fighting and fighting with these idiots. It is. So, it's hard to take, you know. It's a if you're not, you know, made out of bricks and steel. I mean, it's it's caused a lot of divorces. I've seen it break up a lot of families, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. But um, you got to do what's right. Well, you know, you got to do what's right, but you but you got to stand stand up for something. Well, yeah, I agree. You got to stand. Did you want to take any questions? I've got a couple of people with their hands up. Go ahead. All right, Nuke Welder, go ahead. You've been unmuted. Hey, Rod, how are you? Good. Good. Great. So. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, regarding damages and bring to your attention, okay, here in California, I've been fighting a plea bargain and conviction for six years, since uh, March 5th, 2012. And, what, and I've, I did all of the administrative procedure. And now then we've done on this one case about well, there's been a few cases because we've been testing this process, but we've been doing common law writ of mandamus in California with complaint for declaratory relief and damages. And that is, uh, uh, you said you did a writ of mandamus, and you also said that your your original issue could, uh, I heard it as, no probable cause. So if you remember under writ of mandamus where there's no probable cause, that means that the public official failed to perform his duty in a lawful manner, which violated your right, and to which then you can get a, a permanent injunction against them. And when you do that, then you're entitled to damages. So when we've done these 24 writs, we're on the last one, we believe now, that we're including the complaint for declaratory relief, which is an action in and of itself. And I believe that this could be very helpful in your case because you have the evidence already determined in your case of a multitude of uh, violations by a public official who have failed to do their duty in a lawful manner. And the declaratory judgment, at least in North Carolina that I've got in front of me is the same as California. It's an action by itself where you have no other remedy at law and where that you are, uh, where you can have the court do the declaratory judgment based upon the facts and declare the facts. So when those facts are declared, it becomes a final judgment in your favor to determine the rights and duties of the parties. It's unappealable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 
Well, right so now, have you looked looked at that? Uh, what, I, what I'm doing right now, before we get the, the cart before the horse, is I have to go back and Jenner and Block is going to go back and do the appeal to reopen this thing back into the circuit court to get them to sit down and see what they're going to do with me. Now, there's, there's a couple possibilities. One is they could very well sit down and say, okay, uh, we're not, we're, we got enough information here to make a decision on a Second Amendment right. We don't need no briefs in. We're just going to make our decision in the next 30 days and get him out the door, get him out of here, because we don't want any more paperwork brought in here. But she said that may not be likely. They may want to argue this thing which means they're going to have to sit down, put paperwork in. She said they go on vacation through the summer. They will be back in the fall, and this stuff will pick back up in the fall, and then some decision may be around maybe October, November, to rule against the opposing side. Then we'll have to sit back and wait and see what happens then. I said, what is the possibility when we win this in the circuit court for Second Amendment right, because they've already they've already made this decision that their gun laws are unconstitutional. They've already made this decision a number of times. So I know we're going to win this. What's the chance that I'm going to run it to the Supreme Court? She said, well, I don't want to think that far ahead. I said, but if they decide to run it to the Supreme Court, she said, well, if they run it to the Supreme Court, and this is going to take us up to 20, 2018. Or twenty, yeah, twenty nineteen. Then it could be up to another twenty twenty before we ever get into any lawsuits. Depending on how far they want to drag this thing out, because the United States government doesn't lose gracefully. Right. Let me let me let me ask you another question then. Okay. What if? Okay. Do you have? the right to do ex parte hearings in North Carolina? Uh, no, they don't like you doing that, even though... I didn't... Uh, uh, no, they don't like me doing it either, but let me, let me tell you what happened. I sued the Franchise Tax Board, director of the Franchise Tax Board, in court at writ of mandamus, and I made her top attorney general in California show up the day after. Now, you can do the very same thing. I don't really give a crap if they like it, uh, but what they told me when they said they didn't like it was that they said, well, when I didn't do it that way because I filed my writ of mandamus, which is in its own nature ex parte in, uh, when it's done in chambers by the judge who determines whether or not she wants to issue the alternative writ order to show cause, well, they said, well, you don't have a speedy need for relief. I interpret that to mean, well, you didn't call for a hearing. So now they've really told me, do it ex parte. You have to serve the other side with the complaint. And then in two days, we'll come and hear your declaratory relief. Now, the declaratory relief puts you in a position that it is construed liberally in your favor. And it's construed strictly against them. And when you're complaining of facts such as the fact that there was no probable cause, the fact that you were illegally arrested, 
the fact that on and on and on that's been established in the record, you don't even have to put the record in there. You just make your complaint. And then the other side has a period of time determined by the court by order to show cause why the writ should issue and to answer your declaratory relief complaint. Now, if all the facts are true, they, then the court is required to declare those facts to be true because it doesn't, it's, it's neutral. Yeah. All right. There, there's that, that is a separate civil action. You could file right now your declaratory relief judgment in North Carolina for everything that happened and get a judgment strictly on the facts. Now they would have to answer and show the court why those facts aren't true. Do you think they could do that? Well, I think are you, you're trying to bring in a federal court system into a state court system, right? No, sir. I'm using state court rules for a state court action against a state court public official, so to speak. Well, see, I got a federal public official that I'm dealing with because this was but a federal D.C. It wasn't state. It was federal. It's still a public official. It doesn't matter. They don't discriminate that way. It's public official one way or the other. If he's a public official, he has a oath. If he has an oath, he has a duty, and he has a duty, like you said, to follow the Constitution, and he did not do that. So you get the court to declare he did not do that. All right. In, in my, you see how that might work for you? Well, I, now, I, 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 I understand. The other, the other thing is, is the other thing is the damages. When you get the writ to issue against them, and first you get them to declare the the truth of the matter, which are all your facts, and when that's determined, that's a final unappealable judgment. And then they take those final unappealable facts and apply them to the writ of mandamus at common law so that it can be determined if that public official violated his duty, which is correlative of the violation of your rights, and therefore then you're entitled, it's mandatory that they issue the peremptory writ. And when they well, do that, then you're entitled to damages. I, I, I understand what you're saying right now. I've had a lot of people try to tell Rod to go straight, go strictly common law on everything. I've seen so many people go to jail on common law. And right now, I'm still playing this thing out. Jenner and Block has done this all pro bono up to this point in time. So let me ask you one more question. I'll let you go. Like I said, I'm, I'm on my 24th writ. They've never said a word about anything that I can't do, and they've never, ever even threatened me or said a word. They always, always give me a decision, usually within a week. Now, if I am successful, and I've been on Angela's show, and I've talked about writ of mandamus, and I've, I haven't explained the, the extreme details of, the, of the, uh, how declaratory relief affects it and how then that it enters into your right to a de- declaratory judgment for damages – but uh, I'll be back in court uh, on Tuesday, ne- on Thursday next week. And uh, so I would like to just leave it open like this. When I'm successful, and I will be at some point, because we're just we're going through the steps like you are, uh, then I'll contact Angela, and she can contact you, and then hopefully you'll be able to start to look at, at this other side. I got a partner, a law partner. He's been doing this for 35 years. 
So we're not newbies. We don't argue the name. We don't argue any nonsense. We only argue Constitution. Okay. That's so I'll, I'll do that. If uh, if you're interested, then you'll, you can look for an email from Angela, and and I have no doubt that it can apply yeah, exactly be sure what to you're doing. Yeah, be sure to let me know. <laughs> I will, Angela, you know, because I'm, I'm going back in court again. Like I said, we determined that we got to go back at ex parte. Yeah. So that they'll hear the hearing because when you're doing it for the uh, – for a uh, alternative writ of mandamus order to show cause why that the peremptory writ should issue uh, that they didn't like that, but they still issued the order. You still get a ruling in two weeks. Yeah. I've done it 24 times. I'm, tell, uh, I'm just saying this is not conjecture. We're doing it right now. So, so I want to, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, Rod, we're all believers in the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit Lee, is is on our side. That he tells us what to say when we get brought to court. And for those people who don't believe that, well, that's fine. I know you do, Rod. And so uh, I just want you to know we're all brothers here, trying to work on the same thing. We and he's given us an understanding, and he's given you your understanding. And I just want you to know that it all meets in the middle, at a certain point. You can still argue your other case. You can still argue the Second Amendment. It does this. This cause of action does not. In, it's separate. You can do it as a petitioner. It's improper. It has nothing to do with lawyers, and it doesn't affect your case otherwise, except that it also can win. Okay. Well. It's also, okay. yeah, it's a it's a move. It's a move. All right. I appreciate your Thanks, time. Thanks, Nuke Welder. Thank you. Okay. Did you want to make a comment, uh, Rod? Or we have two more people with their hand up. Well, we can like I said, if I can get some get some paperwork, see how he's doing it, give me an, an idea what he what how he's laying stuff out. That that's the yeah. key. See see the paperwork of seeing how they're laying it out and how they're explaining it. Right, right. We all learn from each other that way. Yep. Sharing. Okay, next up is Central Florida. Go ahead. You've been unmuted. You've been unmuted. Perhaps you need to unmute your phone. Central Florida. There we go. Am I here now? There you go. Yeah. Uh, it, it was me on my phone. Uh, Patriot <laughs> One here, Rod. Uh, you sound well. Um, for the bride, I would say it's best to stick with the pain in the butt you know and the pain in the butt you don't know. You're a straight yep. and true pain in the butt. Um, I, I wanted to ask, you, you brought up the 14th Amendment, which... I definitely agree it describes a public office. What did they establish that gave them jurisdiction over you in the first place if you are not a 14th Amendment citizen or a public officer? But, uh, that goes back to the 1933 state of emergency. You go back and read that, and they combined that with the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, and they made us enemies of the state. This is part of how they come back in and did it. They, they gave the administrative agencies jurisdiction over us. In the 1935 Social Security Act, they put a $1.8 million value on, on the kids, where the state gets $1 million each fiscal year. And under the Alien Registration Act of 1940, when we go back in and sign for that birth certificate, 
this was the Alien Registration Act. So they forced us to sign in as aliens into this country. This is where the issues are coming in. This is the 14th Amendment. It's how they had us sign in and how they how they ran us through the hoops on this damn thing. But what a lot of people don't understand is that these public offices have expatriated. They're supposed to be under that 14th Amendment, but in reality, they're under foreign national, under the International Organization Immunities Act. But when we come back in and we push them on the administrative side, we take them out of the judicial, we pull them back into the administrative. When we do that, we're pulling them back in under that Constitution. We're pulling them back into that public office that we understand that public office to be. This is how and what the difference is with what is going on. But they're dragging us in under that state of emergency as enemies of the state. Well, does uh, then would the Reconstruction Act be the uh, foundation of uh, what you just stated? Yeah. Something something had to begin that. This is this is where it's this is where it all begins because prior to that Reconstruction Act of eighteen sixty seven, the states were truly independent. If the federal government tried to come in, the state told them just to go bugger off, okay? When they did that Reconstruction Act, they forced them to give up their state sovereignty, came in under the federal jurisdiction, and just a few days later they created that fourteenth amendment to lock them into that position. It had nothing to do with you and I. It had everything to do with them in that public office. And they ran it that way. And then they got into the 1871, where they created the corporation in the District of Columbia. That was a corporation. Then they moved the government in that, into that corporation setup. They said in 1945, they moved them over to the U.N. This is all historical background. This is well, I like Go ahead. I, I, I like the way you uh, explain how they do an act in year A, and it sets dormant for two, five, ten, twenty years, till the next act, Act B, kicks in what they did years before, and it really explains or brings to light just the process they're going through. But what I'm wondering, really, really wondering, is if they are. UN agents, I suppose, is the best I could come up with. How do they... Because there are two black men convicted of murder. This is years ago, and you might recall this, and I don't know this off the top of my head. But they were found to not be chargeable because they weren't citizens and subject to the laws that they were imprisoned under, and they were set free. So that's why I'm asking, if, if you're not under... The UN laws, how do they grasp a hold of you in the first place? Well, they grab a hold of what is by our, our ignorance on all this stuff, all right? Our, our lack of knowledge, our lack of understanding, we have been brought up to respect the law. If they come up and they want to handcuff you, we've been taught to freely give our hands out and let them snap the handcuffs on us. That's part of our problem here. It's the way we've been raised. It's the way we've been indoctrinated. But since I've been getting in to start learning this stuff, whenever I deal with any of these police officers anymore out here in the street, the moment they pull me over, 
I will I will pull over because otherwise they're going to shoot you. They're going to blow out your tires, shoot out your windows. But when I get pulled over, they come up. When they get done talking, I'll flat out tell them, I will have you up on administrative charges. And I don't mean at the local court. I will have you up in front of the Office of Administrative Hearings. I will bring charges against you. And when I do that, I bring it in their official capacity for who they are. And this is why I'm getting the rulings from the administrative court that these law enforcement officers are not police officers. They're private contractors. They don't work for the state. they got no ties into the state. We don't know who these people are. These are the rulings that I'm getting because of this. I like them, and I'm, I'm, I like following them. Um, last, last question. Um, either the uh, United States Court of Claims or the uh, United States uh, District Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia is there any uh, remedy in either of those for you? Yeah. This is what I was sitting here saying earlier. When I was in the United States District Court and I was going to go over to the Circuit Court of Appeals for the United States, I did some research. <laughs> I did some research. On their website, it sits back and shows is that that Circuit Court is an administrative court. It shows that there have – they. Can, hear claims against public officials. One of the things that I did when I went into that court, I went back and I invoked the administrative procedure side because now that I'm the plaintiff, I was bringing a claim against the prosecution in this thing. I think this is one of the reasons why they gave me a Mekas Curiae attorneys because they didn't want me to come back in and actually bring a full-blown administrative claim in there. So they had to bring a law for a man to screw it up. But that circuit court is an administrative court. Well, how do you invoke an administrator? I mean, just go in there and talk, say it into the record or what? Put it well, on yeah. the paperwork, what? Well, I put it in my paperwork and I bring up that rule that's on their website. Uh-huh. Because they got a section here strictly for administrative hearings. So I go back here, under your administrative law, under your court here, under this here section, I am now asking for this to be an administrative hearing because I have a claim against one of your employees. Otherwise, you go in there and you're going under the United States District Court site, so you're going in the criminal side of this thing. Okay. Click one more. I apologize. Did they come after you as the United States or the United States of America? United States. Be well, Rod. Thank you, Angela. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, next up, uh, let's see here, is Alam Mohammed. You've been unmuted. Hello, Angela. How you doing, Rod? Hello. Hey. Uh, do you hear me pretty good? Yep, loud and clear. I'm glad. Good. Uh, uh, Rod, uh, I hope you keep up the good work. Uh, we we uh been thinking about this mandamus, and I'm referring to it as something that they're getting sneaky with, and they may have been doing it for years. And you may know that this mandamus is, and I heard you guys talking about it, and I, I refer it back to years ago when I had worn a mandamus, but recently, today I was looking at it as up to the now, in this time that we're in, because I'm going to have to use it again. 
But this man, man, Damon, you know, at this point, and maybe they changed it because it was different back then, and they had a statue with it, and they had a law with it. But they're trying to say, and they say it, as a matter of fact, if you look it up, as far as my research has told me, and I, you got to check the laws, but they change as we go on, like you know. And you, that's why you do what you do, I'm sure, and I hope you keep doing it, because this is a, this is a, a one of the uh, exceptional ways of, of overcoming them is to turn it back on you. This is really what you have done. But back to the mandamus, the mandamus, and you can respond upon it. It says to be equitable, equitable release. And they're sneaky about it because they try to tell you you can't, if it's involved in an appeal or if it's involved in a, 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 a statute, that they won't grant you any relief on it. Am, am I correct? Well, again, the, 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 different judges play by different sets of rules, okay? There's, there's no cut dried. Well, if you do this, this, they all do it across the board. It, it depends on that judge, and that's where our problem lies. There's no consistency. Right, and see, so that's why I'm saying, that's why I brought the word equity. You know you know what's going on with equity. I don't know how to explain. That's a whole other story, a whole other show. But that's what they try to pull. They didn't do it years ago. I know, because they gave me the relief. The Secretary of Injunctive Relief, they gave it to me. But now you look at it and they say, well, it's, it's, it's up to the judge. It's an equitable decision. Excuse me, because I do have a speech, speech list. But, but listen, this, 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 this system, you know, it works off of equity. You, you, Angela know that, too. You, you know that. But you, you, you deeply know what's going on with it. And that probably was one of the reasons why you went to challenging them on their own rules because, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. They're such idiots. They're so different and different to the different uh, uh, types of laws that they, that they advocate. They don't know themselves, except that they specialize. Even when they specialize, when you turn the rules back on them, you, you know, you always, you always overcome them. And that's what you've done. But I'm saying about the back to the mandamus and your opinion, do you think that they would use, when you know, when they know, when they know you got them, you think they would use equity on you if you, Go file a mandamus at this point, at this time here in 2018? I, I don't know because I've, I've never got into that aspect on that, but I, I do know what part of what we're running into is this. goes back on the 11th Amendment of the Constitution. Article mm-hmm. 3, gets in, gives the court all kinds of jurisdiction under the Constitution, under the law, under equity, amnesty, you know, treaties. But when you go back to the 11th Amendment, the 11th Amendment of the Constitution comes back in and says that the judicial powers of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or in equity or commence prosecution against the United States or citizen or another state. But that 11th Amendment strips these courts of law and equity. This is part of what we're running into for an issue. That's why I'm sitting here saying it depends on that judge. Because I have had three different court cases we got into, and they used the 11th Amendment, telling the federal judge, pursuant to the 11th Amendment, this court has no jurisdiction to any case in law or in equity, or Mr. Class can't commence prosecution. 11th Amendment forbids it. And when they said that, it dawned on me how in the hell they were using it. And that's why I'm sitting here saying that. Article 3, Section 2, when they drag you and I in, they're dragging us in underneath that. But that 11th Amendment is 
sometimes being used on the other side of the courtroom where we're sitting at to prevent us from doing anything. So it goes right back to the judge. Is he got to lower it or not lower it? I wish they had consistency, but they don't. That's our problem. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry, I muted myself. Uh, Great Gazoo here is asking, where can they read your documents? Are they posted somewhere? Uh, now. Well, we have, they will be. I got uh, a gentleman that will no, work not. at the website. He's going to have all the stuff up on the website here. As soon as we get it up and running, I'll let you know so people can get into it. Okay? Okay, good. I'll send out an email. You let me know, right, Rod? Okay, yep, I can do that. I'll let you know. Because like I said, cause right now we're real close to getting a website up for what uh, the guys were telling me, or my crew's telling me on this. So as soon as we get it up and they get this stuff posted, I'll give it to you. We'll, we'll have have you posted, have Harvey posted of where it is sitting at. Fantastic. Okay, yep, for a couple more questions? Yep, I am. Oh, okay, wait, wait. Um, Alan, go ahead. I'm sorry I, I muted you out. Where, did you have an... Were you not finished? Right. No, 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 Angela. Thank you very much. It's just briefly. Uh, my other thing sure. was about due, due process. Uh, uh, Rod, you you know we got that clause in the due process uh, that allow us to to deal with these claims separate from the other type of injuries. And you know when it comes to due process, they don't play with that. And uh, yeah. I find that that whole held up. For instance, the Supreme Court has said stated clearly. That a default is a default. I think you mentioned a case, didn't you, earlier? Was it uh, Miller versus United States? Um, I, I don't know if you have or not, because I've been, I've been out of state for a while, and I just got back in here just the other night. Okay, what I'm talking about, due process, I'm going to be quick about it, because we don't got that much time. Uh, the due process clause allows us to stand firm. Well, the Supreme Court has allowed it. And I, I heard you mention the case Miller versus the United States. But there are other cases that the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has held firm on this. If a party does not show up and default, it's his plain language. You've been defaulted, and that's the bottom line. But I think the judge, here recently in a case that I'm dealing with, put it on hold, put the default on hold. And that's why I was thinking in terms of the mandamus, because he violated his duty. But I don't want to cross it up with a statute. Because you know the mandamus said don't cross it up with a statute or an appeal. We don't want to do that either. So uh, that's that's the truth. You can you can research it in this. We are rich You may very well already know, already know. But back to the due process clause, I think that what you what I'm hearing from you, a lot of these due process violations on on your part, and I and I just, I just I'm, I'm gonna chime out on that. On their part, the due process. I think they violate a lot of your due process rights, and and just, I just wanted you to remember that. Uh, especially under the Fifth Amendment, uh, you should always keep that in mind. If you want to talk on that or say something about that, I would appreciate it. Okay. And thank you very much. If you could speak on that, the due process is so important. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, don't go in with the Constitution. They won't listen. And you know, a lot of times they do violate the oath. They do it all the time. We know they do it left and right. But this is a due process issue that comes up mostly all the time uh, with us, with people. Defendant or plaintiff, and they violate. It. They violate, and you get they get once you get them there, they stuck. They stuck when it comes to due process. 
it is so powerful that you're stuck. Are you experiencing that too with these people in court? Well, yeah, I have. But see, again, this is what I'm sitting here saying. The moment they don't do their job like they're supposed to, I hit them up with a rule violation. You violated some part of rules of evidence or you violated criminal rules or you violated civil rules, you violated canon rules or you violated the rules of ethics. And I make that a point. So when you go back in and make that a point, you're cornering them. On the, or if you want to talk about due process, where's this at in, in the statute? And you're bringing it up. Because the moment you bring it up and you show exactly where it's at, they don't have a choice here. They're going to have to correct that problem. They're going to have to correct that. And that's, you know, that's part of what you're sitting here saying. And it's true. They have to. But you got to be able to point it out. Okay, next up is West North Carolina. Go ahead, you've been unmuted. Hi, Ron, it's Tim. Um, found a deal on some of those thumb drives. Should I ship them straight to you, or should I mail them to you from get them shipped to me and mail them to you? Uh, just go ahead and just mail them straight to me. Okay. I'll get them shipped to you as soon as he gets back. I'll get you some, too. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Angela, for having him on and sharing this My truth. Pleasure. I hope you get that roundtable together very soon because I'm ready to see the Americans wire this wicked forces out of our nation everywhere we turn. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I'll work on it. I, you know, getting people together, though, it's, well, I will do it. It's a challenge. It was, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything negative. I was no, accused of Rich. I got I got in trouble with Rich Iverson because I'm so negative all the time. I well, I play devil's advocate and I shoot him down because I want him to do better. But anyway, I'll try not to be negative and I'll just say we're going to do it. We're going to get a round table together and uh, we're going to hash out some stuff. Maybe do some role play. That's always fun. You've had a lot of experience in court now, Rod. We should do some role play. Well, yeah, because this is what I've, I've ran into. Like I said, every time a judge says something, I will I will hit him up on a procedural violation. Every time an attorney says something, I'll hit him up on a procedural violation. Now, most of these, most of this stuff that I've walked into in court, very, very little is talking about me. Very little. <laughs> Most of it is all about what they're not doing right, and this is this is what really rattled their cages. Now, and I've I've got pulled off to the side, and I've sat down and was questioned on this because it's like I was I was told this is not the average patriot stuff that we're used to. Where are you getting your information from? I said, well, let me show you where the books are at. So. <laughs> I said, look, here's your paperwork. You people give me the information because you write it out. You tell me what your issues are. You got to tell me where the remedy is, and you guys write out the remedies within the paperwork. I said, you guys are giving me the information. You're giving me the knowledge on this. it, it, It has blown so many of these people's minds, the U.S. Marshals, the FBI, We've sit down. We've talked to them. I've walked them through this paperwork. 
I've talked to different warriors. I've talked to a, I talked to a judge here a while back, and he, his comment to me is, I've never come across anybody being a judge who has who is doing what you're doing. So I've not come across anybody who's ever done this before. And I started walking him through some of this stuff, and he just sat back and just shook his head and said, you know what, you're right. What you're saying is correct. I said, yeah, I know. I said, but why don't you guys follow it? You know, that's where the problem is. You're not doing your job right. They weren't taught right, you know? Huh? Well, they were taught to deal with to deal with the, the, the average citizen out here who walks in with the Patriot stuff. You know, we've got to get out of that. we got to get back into where we are better educated, more knowledgeable. And when we start doing that, they start having a little more respect for us of what we're doing and how we're doing it. So, uh, You've proven that that's, that, that's a true statement. I mean, they're showing you respect, it, it seems like, anyway. I don't know. Is, what do you think? Are they showing you respect? Well, yeah, they are because, you know, I've had this judge walked off the bench because of what we did, got into. I had two other judges walk off the bench here on my son-in-law's case, but they should have never walked off the bench on him. They should have just dealt with the issue he had and then take care of it. By them walking off, because he's applying for Social Security disability because he, he had a heart attack. And by them walking off the bench instead of giving him his disability, they hung themselves because they walked off. Because, oh, my God, you're, this is your father-in-law. We don't want to deal with him because he'll bring charges against us. So we just won't deal with the case. Well, you should have dealt with the case. You're being paid to do that. So it would be nice to have a job and not have to show up or not do it still get a paycheck. Well, I'm so excited that you came on. I'm so happy that you made it. I was for sure I thought you were going to say, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it because that happens often. But not with you, Rod. You're a trooper. Hang in there. I will. Say what? (laughs) Say it again. If I can, I will. Very very few times I, I, I don't make make calls on what we're doing because uh, right now on on uh, Wednesday nights I've got four hour call on Wednesday night with two, with two different people I'm working with them on education on Friday night I got a couple that I'm working with for over two hours with them on education on Monday night I got a group that I work with from time to time for about two three hours with them for education Fantastic. so I yeah <laughs> You're all over the place, but that's good. You're spreading the knowledge. You're spreading, you know, what your experiences and sharing what you've learned. It's so wonderful that you're doing that, you know, and not charging people, you know, an arm and a leg to learn. It's, I just, I love it. I love you, Rod. Thank you so much for coming on. Did you want to say anything else? I mean, we're getting close to the two hour mark. Are you tired or are you you still good? I've got to get some stuff taken care of around the house, but I appreciate being on here tonight. Like I said, we simulcast with you on on my show. Yeah, fantastic. I'm glad. Thank you so much. I appreciate it 
I, I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you for sharing, and uh, take care of yourself, Rod. Make well, sure I, you eat three squares a day and get enough sleep and all like that because it's stressful what you're doing, and I, I you know, it can take its toll. You gotta space it out. Uh, well, th- my my whole thing of what we're teaching on this thing, Angela, is the fact that we have to take control. Because it isn't about me, and I've had so many people say, well, when you go into that court, you have to know who you are when you walk into that court. I said, no, 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 no. If you walk into that court and you tell them what their job description is and what they are doing wrong and how they're doing it wrong, they automatically know who you are, and you don't have to tell them. (laughs) Right, right. That's fantastic. That's great advice. That's very good advice, and that's a great way to leave the call. Uh, Again, thank you so much, and um, can we do it again? Yep, yep. We'll set this thing up and see what what we can do with it, hon. All right, great. uh, You let me know when you're ready, and we'll do it. Thanks again, Rod. I appreciate it. Everybody appreciates it, and we're so happy. It's such good news. You know, we need good news in the truth movement because uh, we don't get too much of it. So when it happens, we got to share it and spread it and teach it so others can do it too. Well, Take yeah, control. Well, yeah, and the thing of it is, like I said, I don't know if anybody in our ranks out here on our, with what we're doing has made it to the Supreme Court got an argument before the Supreme Court, and then won it in the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's, a ma- it's a miracle. I mean, well, you're good at what you do. No one is as knowledgeable as you are. That's that's a good, you know, thing to learn, because if you don't know the rules and you don't know what they're doing wrong is wrong, you can't point it out to them, well, then they're going to just throw you under the bus. So you've got to know. You, I mean, you, it takes a lot of study and a lot of research, and you've done it. You know, not everybody. I mean, there's still there's people coming in to the truth movement just now, and they're they, they're starting to wake up. So they got to start like from scratch. But not really. I mean, they can just learn from what you've done, and 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 jump leaps. You know, a, a, ahead of uh, some of us that have been studying for you know since 1999 or whenever. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Yeah. But part of it is. Angela, is this like I, I talked to several different people, and I got into them coming up with, well, this is their stuff, their rules. I said, okay, let's let's look at it from that point of view. And I asked them what kind of an automobile they had, and they said, well, they had a had a Ford or Dodge or Chevy, whatever. I said, okay. I said, I remember Ford and Dodge or Chevy; these are corporations, just like the United States is. It's a corporation. And these automobile factories have their manual for their automobile and their specifications for their automobile. So that's their manual. So the only ones who are supposed to use their manual is their mechanics. So when you want to sit down and you want to rebuild a motor and the, and the specification says, well, you've got to torque the head down at 80 foot-pounds of torque, because it's their manual, you don't want to use their stuff, so you got to torque it down at 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 six six pounds, six foot pounds. 
not 100, not 80, but six, because that's their manual. You know, you've got to put Toyota brakes on it, or you're going to put different brakes and different alternators. I said, and you wonder why it doesn't work, why the motor blew up, because you don't want to use their manual. I said, this is what you guys are doing when you're walking into court with this attitude. You have to use their specifications against them. And when you do, they don't have an avenue to come back and rebut you because they got their hand caught in a cookie jar. See, we all learn from you tonight, and we will continue to. Um, and as soon as you get your paperwork up, let me know, and we'll send that out in an email, and then we'll have you back on, and hopefully we'll have a a roundtable discussion. Okay, you can no, pick whoever you want to join, you know, but no. uh, would be nice. Do you do you get along with Anna Von Reitz? Uh, yeah, her and I kick back and forth from time to time. I got uh, several of my students that could that could come on and they could sit down and explain how they started out here a couple of years ago. I got one fight in IRS, and I got another one going through his own divorce, and he's got his judge and his wife's lawyer up on federal charges for, for negligence and dereliction of duty and ethics violations. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. I'll be contacting you. Maybe we can put something together sooner rather than later, eh? Yep, sounds good. All right. Thanks so much, Rod. God bless you and uh, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Thursday. Um, what am I? Oh, gosh. We're supposed to get a ton of rain and flooding and all like that tonight, so I hope I'll be here tomorrow. No, I will. I'm not in Santa Barbara, so it shouldn't be a problem. All right, everybody. Um, have fun. We'll see you next time. Good night. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, hon. Thank you. Well, it didn't want to end. I tried, but it <laughs> usually we hear the recording, you know.